we are uh, going to get started here this morning, close out our um, study on the church, um, a little less formal, but some important points I would like to, to make here this morning. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your great mercies. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us uh, wisdom and understanding concerning our, our lives with you how we are to be your people, your church, in the world, to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was thinking uh, much earlier this week about addressing questions relating to uh, the dangers that we have um, that are in, our, in the church, and uh, I was doing research in different places around, and I imagine a number of you maybe follow Yuri Brito at all on any social media or anything. Uh, anybody see his list of 26 weaknesses of the church that he put out this week? No? Did anybody see it? Okay. Oh, good. It'll all be fresh for everybody. Um, that's going to be just part of what we're going to talk about here this morning. Um, we're going to hit them at a, at a high level. And, I, he said his next post would be 26 strengths of the church. Um, he's not merely talking about or want us to emphasize the challenges that we face. Um, and uh, so he, he's, he's just bringing these things up for us. And then I have a, um, a few quotes uh, from John Calvin. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll close with looking at Ephesians. Four. So, no, he hasn't listed A through Z. He 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 didn't mention that. If that was in his head, I don't know. So he 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 says this. I'll just he has a two paragraph intro that I'll read, and then we'll kind of highlight some of these. One, the evangelical view of the church, my piece of the ecclesiastical pie, is weak on a number of levels. After 43 years on this planet and growing up in an evangelical home as someone who was deeply invested in the success of gospel churches, I have seen much. These weaknesses, in my estimation, lead to a lesser and lesser influence in the modern world and dysfunctional ecclesiology. And of course, that is um, the church itself. Here are, here are at least 26 weaknesses to be followed by another post with their strength. So if you, if you have Facebook, I'd say Yuri Brito is a guy to follow. Yuri Brito, U-R-I, Brito, B-R-I-T-O. Um, what's that? So it's, uh, it's this. He starts out and says, it views church worship as a funeral procession for Jesus rather than a triumphant resurrection process. So we want to remember that our Lord and Savior, I thought that was very purposeful during the Easter season, but we, we, we want to recognize the suffering of Christ. We want to embrace with immense gratitude the suffering and death of Jesus, right? But, but that's not the place in which um, he uh, dwells. He's been resurrected. He has ascended. And so we want to recognize this. And he, he goes on to say, 
we often decentivizes or decentivize male participation. Um, a number of reasons: uh, the way that we address one another, the way that we sing, um, the types of songs that we sing, um, and certainly um, you want to not be overboard, um, but we you do want to create um, and and be used of God's created body. Um, that uh, includes all of God's people, men, women, and children. He says this, it, it makes the Bible secondary and human creativity primary. So instead of having an emphasis on God's word, there's an emphasis on, in how creative we can be. And, and that's not to say that we don't want um, sermons to be interesting or to have uh, creative illustrations, but the, the idea being of, you know, it's, it's all about uh, the drama team or the extravagant light show or these kinds of things. That is not helpful because your emphasis becomes on the visual and not emphasizing God's holy word. <laughs> well, my, my experience is it makes it... My experience is it makes the, uh, the preacher's throat dry. <clears throat> well, that, that came from my acting days, not, not my, what's that? Uh, just in acting, not in uh, that, but. <clears throat> it, <laughs> there you go. Those, those at home, everyone's laughing about the, quote, light show behind Dan. All right, so. <clears throat> Uh, it views Jesus' authority over the world in similar categories to Satan's. That's pretty dramatic. A misunderstanding of 2 Corinthians 4.4, which means it minimizes the power of the resurrection in, the cha- in changing the world in the first century. And, and part of what he's driving at here is that, that Jesus' sovereignty is limited. In, in practicality, when we, when, when, when churches, so I'll say we collectively embrace the idea that uh, Jesus is not sovereign over all things and that somehow this world uh, belongs to Satan, Satan's power is, has been taken from him. Um, one, of the, one of the most effective lies Satan has is causing the church to believe that he still reigns over the earth, that he has power over his church. Or over Christ Church. Anyway, the, the point is that, that Jesus is sovereign over all the world and he is redeeming um, the world and his creation. Here's, here's an interesting one. It treats themes of worship as preferential rather than objective. And he says, please see letter C. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this one again and then go back and read the one he references to. It treats themes of worship as preferential rather than objective. Okay, C says it makes the Bible secondary and human creative, uh, creativity primary. And so, um, where, whereas there is some latitude within the church about how you do what you do and exactly um, how it's laid out, if, if we don't allow the scriptures, God's word, to inform us about what the gathering of God's people is to be, 
um, we are in danger. Um, we, we turn it into a, uh, an entertainment, a, a marketing. You know, how do we market Jesus so we get the most listeners? Well, that can seem good on paper, but is it, does it have, e- excuse me, eternal value? It's not future-oriented, so it's bound to do theology only for the present. Now, i got to tell you, that's a big one for me. I grew up in a very, um, you know, Jesus isn't coming any day, time period, um, and, and churches. And so everything was focused on the here and now, and there wasn't the growth of maturity to think about what is, what is God's plan generationally, and how should I act in that generational way. Um, you know, it, it can also create uh, uh, just a distraction from, from what uh, we are to be growing to, because it's just in, it's living in the immediate. And what, who lives in the immediate? Children, right? Junkies. That's, which, which is a what? It's, it's a form of, I, I can't, right, immaturity. I can't deal with things. And so um, I've, I've, I've become caught up in, in using ulterior um, things to um, help me not have to face reality. Huh. Yeah, that's actually coming up in the sermon today. Uh, he said, uh, for those of you at home, um, that technology's done that to us as well. Um, it is content to keep Christians at a basic level of growth, which means dim- it diminishes rigorous theological dialogue. Okay? So, it, you know, it is content to keep things basic. Now, obviously... You have a variety of situations, right? You're going to have people that have a time and energy to devote to rigorous things. And there's, you know, if uh, if if you're a parent of a gaggle of of, of uh, small children, um, you know, you might have vigor, um, but you may not have as much time to put to it. But but what we also need to recognize is is that we can't just say, well. Uh, we had some people that are at the basic level, um, so that's all we're going to focus on. And so part of what we have to do is to work towards uh, unity. So it may be a, a topic you've covered before, but that means now you're able to help others who are growing up into this. Um, it also helps us um, to, to understand that we are to be growing. And it's okay to be stretched. Sometimes you should be sitting in the sermon or in a Sunday school, or even having conversations within the body of Christ, and you're going to be like, I, this is beyond me. Now, you can do one of two things with that. You can say, well, it's beyond me and tune out. Or you can ask questions or sit quietly while it's being explained. Write, write your questions down. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. <clears throat> He goes on and says it forgets its origins, thus minimizing the lessons of history. Again, if you focus on the present, you're not you don't really look at the past either. Right? Excuse me. And we you know, we wanna we want to emphasize that uh, you know, reflecting, I mean, don't you as an individual, um, don't you learn from your personal history? Well, we ought to, right? I mean, although myself included, many of us have made rep- 
repetitive mistakes, um, having not garnered it. But, but the truth is, we, we need to consider history and not just focus on um, our, our present. It doesn't rejoice enough. In essence, there is a, a low view of feasting. Now, there's, there's a sin called gluttony. Uh, but, you know, if you take six days a week and you're focused and moderate and doing all these things and you feast on one day a week, that's not gluttony. Although as I get older, I find it harder and harder to be gluttonous. At least, at least in terms of volume, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes as I as I'm with the college students how much those young men can put away. I, I remember those days. Just looking at it, I get full. <clears throat> it uh, it fails. The church fails to view the ch- itself as use it. Excuse me. It fails to view. Excuse me. It fails to view the church using the warlike categories of Scripture. So. Um, we're, we're afraid of the passages or we get nervous because we might offend somebody if we speak in the, uh, the, the warlike categories of Scripture as if we're not at war. You know, that's another, that's another place where I think Satan deceives us, right? He deceives us by saying, um, you know, the other side, they're all geared up and they're at war and they're advancing. And, and we say... Well, we don't, we don't, we're supposed to be peaceful. We're not to engage in, in warlike combat. So we, we tend to steer away from those passages of Scripture. And we need to recognize that Satan is at war. Those, remember Psalm 2? They are still conspiring. Right? Now, we don't have to fear, but we want to recognize that we can be firm and stand on God and his word. Um, It would rather sacrifice, excuse me, I'm sorry. I switched pages and I went to the bottom instead of the top. My apologies. It forgets the little ones in in the life of the church, unintentionally making them second-class citizens. Um, Or we can get in a place where we dismiss the kids somewhere else. And I would argue in a lot of ways this is um, one of many reasons. But one of the reasons why um, young people grow up, if they've always been going out of the service, we lose the, the kids because, again, they're not learning to grow up uh, into maturity. It doesn't view Catholicity in a positive light, choosing tribalism. Now, this is a big one, I think, among Reformed folks, right? One of the big weaknesses, it was funny, yesterday I was with some guys doing some, some work in parole, which I'll be um, talking about with you guys further later. The the uh, but but I was I was saying to him you know one of the problems in the Reformed Church is we like to divide we're going to divide 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 until all of a sudden it's just me and my family um, we 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 need to recognize that that we have unity with people in other churches uh, now it can be a struggle sometimes right um, but we 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 don't look at the unity of Christ's body in the large sense of the church in a positive way. Instead, we want our tribe, right? And we need to be willing to sit down, have discussions, encourage, recognize the strengths of some of our brothers and sisters. And, you know, if, if we always divide and we don't fellowship, we lack the opportunity to share to them any other point of view uh, in in 
the areas where they could grow. And how about this one? Be humble enough to uh, take instruction from them, from their strengths. Because sometimes we're like, oh, I've got the best in archaeology, better than everybody else's. Um, hey, guys, be humble. They have, they have gifts and strengths and things um, for us as well. Um, it, uh, it doesn't read broadly enough. And again, he refers back to if all you ever do is read stuff from your tribe, from your particular theological bent, you don't grow. You're not challenged. I mean, think about this. Many of us grew up in churches, and we only knew the one way that we had in our church, right? Now, one of the advantages to studying church history in at least some depth is you recognize, you see all these debates going on in history, which happens to point out that there are varied views on a number of subjects. But, but it's important that we don't simply just read things of our group, but we consider other brothers' and sisters' points of view uh, in books as well. Uh, it, it, it fails to encourage women to pursue good theology and their God-given glory in the home. Um, we, we want women to be um, in the church, great handlers of God's word, and still recognize the, the glory of rearing children and training them up. Uh, and that is, of course, not to say to the neglect of the fathers not being involved in that. But um, there, there is a place for both of these things. This is a big one. It doesn't practice church discipline. This is a big weakness. It creates all kinds of problems. In the Old Testament, we see that when discipline is going to be done, that, Jesus, that, that God says, listen, you're going to do these things. You're going to put these very wicked people to death, and you're going to do it in public. Our first mistake in this country in terms of things with concerning the death penalty is is we took the, the death penalty and we put it behind closed doors so nobody sees it. And when we did that, right, people did not learn, right? God says specifically when people do, did certain things, murder, rape, etc., you are to put them to death and it's to be in public so that others may learn, may be instructed in these things. And this is why eventually when you keep it behind closed doors long enough, people start saying, oh, man, maybe we shouldn't kill them. And that's why we have all of the, the mixed um, situations that we do where states have varying degrees. Some states have the death penalty, some don't. But there's no, there's no instruction uh, to the people. The church doesn't sing enough. We need a broader repertoire. The church is too rich musically for us to stick with a few. The church doesn't encourage hospitality, although I'd say that might be a strength of ours. But we're talking broadly. I was talking um, here recently to two different um, families that have transferred for work in the last year or so from our church. And one of the things that they had noticed was just how many of the churches they've gone and visited. Nobody invites them. The pastors don't follow up. They're just kind of like, great, we were, here. we were happy you were here today. Uh, but, but that becomes the extent of it. And, of course, that's not just about for evangelism or adding people to your number, but I think it's also important for us to recognize for the health of the body. Are you not encouraged when you um, eat with one another, when you talk to one another throughout the week and on the Lord's Day? Isn't that a real encouragement to you? You know, it's, it's, it's that relational piece. Um, this is a big one. It fails to pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And uh, that isn't just a prayer that's like, okay, God, we want this, but it also translates into if we genuinely are asking for that, we are then to be organizing what God has given us, the dominion he's given us in the world, the influence he's given us in the world to arrange um, those things um, so that it reflects um, God and heaven. Here's a terrible implication. Um, The church would rather sacrifice at the altar of sports than the altar of God on Sundays. Um, You know, it used to be there were no sports leagues on Sundays for kids, right? But the longer we lifted up pro sports on Sunday, right, whether it's been football and the rise of basketball and all these other things, after a while, what happened? Then, you know, people were ducking out to hurry home for the games. Some people were attending games instead of being at church. And then all of a sudden, kids' leagues start doing it, right? That's a, that's a whole that's a whole other problem, but it has a breakdown. The church uh, views food and fellowship primarily as consumption rather than communion. And again, in Acts, we see that they continue to gather together, worship in the temple and break bread together. There's certainly reference towards communion, but also eating together, fellowshipping together. It's not simply, we're not simply eating and drinking. We are in um, communion with one another. Um, It reads the Bible too little, and the parts that are read are incomplete, decontextualized, forgetting typologies and patterns. And so uh, we'll be talking about um, the average American and average evangelical in their, uh, their reading and Bible reading here. It'll come up in the sermon today. But we, we basically just don't read God's word enough. And we do it in, in too many small pieces. We inconsistent, we're inconsistent in applying the gospel to society, education, and culture. We have believed the two-kingdom view in the church, and it's been harmful, where we say the church has its its place and it doesn't have any application into the rest of life, right? It's your personal faith, um, but that's not true. It's too casual or non-interested in creeds, basically too casual in the creeds. So it is tempted by dehistorical realities and Gnostic tendencies. When, when, when we don't take the, the, the good, hearty teachings, the creeds and confessions of the historic church, and we don't look at them, we don't read them, we don't consider what they say, um, we're going to fall into the very sins and challenges that those creeds were being written to address. Right? Um, you know, what, anybody, what, what was the, why did they write the Nicene Creed? What were they trying to deal with? What was the big issue? Anybody know? Yes. Well, specifically the, the fact that was Jesus an actual man, right? They were dealing with the Gnostic idea that Jesus yeah, he came down, but he was more like a spirit person than a man person. And they were dealing with the fact that Jesus did come down as an actual man. 
And then 100 years later, what they have to do? They had to go, the, the next creed comes along, Chalcedon, and that's, that's about saying Jesus was fully God. Yes, he was a man, right? And so the church ebbs and flows, and if we don't look at the, the, the creeds and these where, where Christians have gotten together and said, okay, we have a cultural problem in the church, we need to address these heresies and solidify it. If we don't look at that, we fall in the very same traps. And finally, um, he says this, the church is incoherently Trinitarian. It functions, the church that is, functions as practical modalists, thus minimizing and confusing the role and reality of each person of the Godhead. Now that's a whole thing all by itself, right? We could spend an hour, and when we get to Trinity Sunday, we'll dig into that. But we have to recognize one God, three persons. Um, It's not like modalists where... You know, the father was on the throne and then the throne was empty when Jesus was here on the earth and then he had to go back up so the spirit could come down. That's an oversimplification of modalism. But, but, the, but, but the point being is, um, you know, we can, we can understand the Trinity, I think, just a small bit, um, but we have to take God's word um, as, as a, the whole and trust him in how he operates and that he is one God and three parts. And so we have a tendency to divide up um, how God works in our lives. And, and the other part of this is that he is immense and immeasurable. And in some ways, um, you know, we're never going to understand all of him. Even when we get to heaven, it's going to be just more and more of his love and understanding his immensity and, and his greatness and his wonderful wisdom. So... Um, with that being said, those are just a few things to consider, and I think a lot of us have have uh, addressed some of these things or considered uh, some of these as well. But I, I want us to um, recognize that there are dangers uh, to the church, to ourselves, to our families, and that we need to guard against this. Finally, I just want to uh, highlight two things from Calvin. Um, in in his uh, in Calvin's Institutes in Book Four, he focuses primarily on uh, the the church and doctrines of the church and this this kind of thing. Um, but I, I'll I'll just highlight two points. One, the the church, with all its warts and problems and everything else, excuse me, is God's ordained plan in the world. Right? So there are challenges, there are dangers, there are mistakes um, that, that have been made, right? And are still being made. And yet, this is, this is God's ordained plan to use you and me and all the stuff that we need to confess and deal with and grow and mature in, this is God's ordained plan in the world to grow, to disciple the nations, to teach all that I have commanded, right? Um, and so where, where we want to look at the church and give it a certain level of, uh, of just nodding to the head, what a mess, what a mess, what a mess, this is how God has planned and ordained 
That's why I want to say ordained, because plan sounds ordained is this is how it is, folks. Right? So it's not a question. Here, here's the reality for you and I. There's this part of it that, hey, we are it. Right? So guess what? We have to be mature and we have to deal with this ordained method that God has for us and the world. Right? He, he points out Christ is the head. Right? And, and we see God as our father and the church as the mother. Right? We are the ones that, by God's work, we nurture and care for one another. We provide for one another. This, this is important. We provide and rejoice in the strengths and victories, and we provide and care in the failures and in the hardships and the sufferings of God's people, and through that to the world. Right? So look around the room. I'm sure at one time or another, someone in this room or someone who will be here later or some people that are sitting in a pew somewhere else this morning have gotten on your last nerve, have maybe mistreated you, neglected you. Others you've looked at and said, man, they've inspired me. They've done all this good stuff. They provided all this for me. Those are all your brothers and sisters. And all together, this is God's plan to bring glory to himself and to reach the world. I, I think that's we, we've got to we've got to be hard. So that means stick together, stick together, be humble with one another, provide truth to one another. But you, you you know the sticking together. If we don't stick together, we're just ignoring reality, right? So I, I think that's a really important thing for us to consider. Um, finally, I want us here this morning to be reminded what Ephesians 4, 1 says. Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So all of us were called to be part of the church. We're all called to be the saints of God. Right? And we are to do this with all lowliness and gentleness. That is, humility. Right? knowing that we are sinners saved by grace. And then it says, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Sounds just like what I was talking about a minute ago, right? Endeavoring, here's the thing, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is, we are to long-sufferingly, with humility, recognize that we're sinners saved by grace, bear one another's burdens, but then to be working towards the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, right? That's 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 our ends, which means humility on our side, right? But also, I think recognizing um, it's it's sort of like this, you know, your family's always your family, good, bad, or ugly. The same thing is true about the church, and we are to understand that bond, understand we're in unity, and we are to work through this, and finally. Because he said, you're doing all this. And verse 4 and 5, I think, just says, okay, here's why. The inevitability of this right here. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. As I like to say, y'all. Right? This is the reality. Right? And and I really think, you know what causes most of the troubles and the difficulties, if we can be honest? It's sin in our lives. We're always quick to do this without reflecting on ourselves in those circumstances, right? Um, we, we often want to stand up, maybe even shout about the sins in others. And I'm not saying that you can't speak to the sin in others unless you're perfect. But remember, God's word teaches us to restore our brothers and sisters in humility, right? So that we guard ourselves from falling into that very sin ourselves. So this is the church. We are the church. I'm thankful for every one of you. Be thankful for one another. Be thankful for our brothers and sisters sitting in other pews this morning, right? And one of the reasons we pray for the pastors, we pray for these churches, is we want to see them preaching faithfully God's word and people hearing it. This isn't just symbolism. I mean, it is in one way, because when we pray for a handful of churches, we also mean it for the church worldwide, right? But but also, um, I'd rather that you sit in a church that's preaching God's word, and maybe it's not exactly how I might approach it, but they're attempting to serve God and preach God's word and be faithful to God's word than not be anywhere. Be in church. Be in church. Encourage one another build relationships so that we are able to truly be unified. Any questions or comments? Yes, David. And I, and I think it, it totally, you know, ignores the portions of Scripture like, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, we spiritualize this like it's some ethereal thing that God is doing out there instead of what that means for us and our actions and our behavior here, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's part of that prayer. It's asking God for this, but it's an actionable item. You're going to go down these checklists, right? And you're going to say, this is, um, you know, how I'm going to work towards these ends. So it's as much asking God to do it as it is asking God to help us to do it. I, I agree with you. Um, Gnosticism, um, you know, the basically Plato and then Renaissance Enlightenment, uh, 
all the way to this whole idea of trying. This is again Satan trying to to find any way he can to separate us from reality. Yes, Jonathan. out my ilk of the Pentecostal movement, the Assemblies of God, man, they put a lot of missionaries on the field, right? You know, I feel like that was the strength that I brought, you know, and I want to continue to see us grow in, in this area, not just sending money, but, you know, you have to ask yourself a question, and, and this is indictment, what does this look like, I don't know, but if your church never produces any pastors or missionaries, scratch, 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 okay, I'll put we, we Now, there's plenty of other work to be done in the church besides pastors and missionaries. But if you get none over a hundred-year period, you got to scratch your head and say, Lord, what, what part are we missing? So we, we should be in, in prayer about that. Any other questions or comments? Yes, sir. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. Father, we ask that you would please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises. Lord, may we be ready to confess our sins. Lord, be ready to hear your word and to, to be cut up and rearranged rightly. Lord, that we may ascend to your presence and come into communion with you. In Jesus' name.